HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Greenhorns Radio, Radio for Young Farmers, by Young Farmers. Today we have a combo show with Robert Bauer and Jacob Marty talking about grazing in the upper Midwest. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So let's go straight away um, because many of our listeners are not from regions that have grazing brokers, and they may not even know what grazing brokers are. So let's get started explaining um, what you are doing there. Thanks. Well, I'm in Dodgeville, Wisconsin, in Wisconsin's beautiful Driftless region. It actually covers, I think, about four states, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, and uh, parts of Minnesota. And uh, in this region, it's really hilly, and we have really thin, uh, lost soils that were blown uh, after the glaciers came here. So we really need to protect this area with the perennial vegetation basically grass, and uh, so that's really a good situation for grazing cattle. Um, and so we have a lot of landowners here who own land um, for one reason or another, and then there's a lot of livestock producers. So kind of my role is to do some matchmaking to connect the landowners who aren't necessarily farmers. They're non-farming landowners. Connect them with the livestock producers. And then we also want to increase the, the amount of well-managed grazing. You know, so we, to protect the soil, it has to be rotational grazing. Um, it's going to really create more roots. And, um, and so that's really the, the objective, too. Um, another part of this is, is that we have, because of all this, this uh, habitat uh, area, all the habitat for cows, it means habitat for birds. Uh, and so... Uh, the, the beginning of my project was some funding um, from our Department of Natural Resources and our Depart- excuse me Department of Agriculture um, that uh, 
brought together agency staff uh, to create bird conservation areas. And uh, these are like 2,500 acre uh, intact parcels. Um, the Nature Conservancy owns some of these areas. Um, some of them are owned by the Department of Natural Resources in Wisconsin. And the idea was that uh, that would be core habitat for grassland birds. And then around that would be conservation and reserve program acres. That's a federal program through the Farm Service Agency uh, that, that basically pays farmers or landowners to, to keep land in some kind of conservation cover and not farm it. Uh, and so with the combination of the intact areas and then the working lands that are conservation reserve programs, they might be hay fields, they might be pastures, all those things provide surrogate habitat for grass and birds. So we have this amazing resource up here. We're trying to protect it by matchmaking, and expanding resources for grazing. So let's switch over to Jacob. Um, can you talk about the kind of businesses that can happen on these grazing lands and what kind of opportunity there is, maybe using yourself as an example, um, for operations on rented land? Yeah, sure. Maybe um, introduce yourself first. Yeah, this is, so my name is Jacob Marty. I'm actually a sixth-generational farmer um, from Monticello, Wisconsin. It's about 45 minutes south of Madison, and I'm farming with my father on our, um, historically it's a dairy farm, and we're transitioning into more perennial-based um, pasture systems for raising um, grass-fed beef, pasture-raised pork, and pasture-raised poultry. Um, we're also incorporating a lot of civil pasture plantings with lots of fruit and nut trees, so... Um, actually, with the grazing brokership, um, I'm kind of on the opposite side of things. I have um, family land that I'm able to step into and help with the transition. Um, so it's not necessarily more of a rented um, agreement like that, a lot of the stuff that Robert's dealing with with the brokership. But on these type of lands with using a parental system, you can look for a long-term system or agreement, um, say 10, 20-plus years, that you can really have some stability where you could be working at um, having agreements with different governmental incentive programs to help you set up um, these different rotational grazing pro, uh, systems or programs. Um, but also you, with perennial systems, there's a lot of um, flexibility and opportunity for having diversified livestock and other production, um, um, food production systems. So you could have like I said, fruit and nut trees. You could have vegetables in the annual rotation with some of your perennial systems. So there's a lot of diversification possibilities, which can also bring in a lot more um, people to help work on the land. And so let's talk a little bit. The um, this is this Badger program is not a very old program, and I can hear what some of the motivations have been. What's been the response so far? Um, from the people that you're working with on the on the beginning farmer end and on the landowner end. Sure. Yeah, and and kind of like uh, Jacob's alluding to, um, the the program that I'm running ex expanded to kind of create some opportunities for beginner farmers like Jacob, uh, who you know could really benefit from some additional resources to get started. And so we, we expanded what I'm doing with the grazing brokering, uh, trying to connect landowners with livestock producers. And we expanded it to also provide um, some financial coaching from 
uh, Paul Detman, who is the Emerging Market Specialist at Badgerland Financial. They're an ag lending co-op in Wisconsin. And then we also get them a mentor, you know, get the beginning farmers a mentor who's experienced in their field of interest. And uh, I'll let Jacob explain his perspective on that, but he volunteered to be uh, both a mentor and he's also seeking a mentor himself. Um, so really, we get all these resources that uh, help to support beginner farmers. Um, and that's my role, so again, it's is to... more than is just land. It's a bunch of relationships and support in developing a business that can that's, make yeah, that Yeah, that's really what it's about. Eat. And I'm here to kind of coach them through that and support them, connect them with the resources, and check in periodically. Jacob, and you want to reflect on how that's going? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so Robert said that um, I'm in kind of a unique situation where I um, signed up underneath the program to be a mentor and um, someone that's seeking a mentor. So I've already found a mentor about 20 miles away, and he's actually on the dairy um, side of um, kind of the rotational grazing um, system. So as a dairy grazer, I was interested in how he sets up and um, how he goes on a day-to-day -day management. He's been there for 20 years doing um, grazing. He's seen different technologies and implemented them. So I've been able to learn on a day-to-day -day basis. Or um, I've been going there about two to three times a week um, in the mornings to help him with milkings and seeing him, uh, how he takes care of his animals, um, how he's setting up his grazing system. Um, so that's been really valuable. And I also started a couple months ago um, and you can see how it changes throughout the season. On the other side of things, um, I volunteered to be a mentor. Um, I'm only actually in my second year, um, just this, this year, um, as being a rotational grazer. But before that, I put in a few different years of research and constant, countless hours of reading books and reading on online um, forums and um, articles and sources of information online that really gave me a good background. I have a degree in ecology, which I was able to associate. So I could, there's readily available information that I've already accessed and I feel comfortable teaching and um, making available to other people. So I was able to um, be open and free with other people and say, I can help you with that, um, while more so the business and um, those other elements you could seek from another mentor and we could really complement. So there's a lot of different flexibility and possibilities there. Well, and one thing that I learned, I met recently with a guy who's been a major organizer for a long time with the Canadian Farmers Union. Uh, his name is Terry. He said, you know, remember that the pedagogy that is working for, for especially adult education is really different from standing in front of a classroom and getting ideas poured into your head and then getting a quiz. And that engagement and peer-to-peer -peer learning and discussion, uh, even getting into arguments, all of that is a very, are very, uh, are better ways to infiltrate uh, new stewardship information. So it sounds like coming in and going out, you've got a good system in, uh, in mind here. Yeah, thanks. A lot of what I include in this program, which, by the way, is funded by USDA, uh, National Institute for Food and Agriculture, thanks to them, and thanks to all the, the, the supporters, like, I mean, even the Wisconsin School for Beginning Dairy and Livestock Farmers, 
was really important in this. Those are some of the more, they have some traditional components, they have classroom components, but they also have field components. Um, they were really important, but my experience in this came from Minnesota with the Land Stewardship Project. I took their Farm Beginnings course, which is a kind of a weekend course, you know, uh, 30 weeks, uh, you get training, and then they connect you with their farmer network. So after I graduated, I was also graduating from college at the time, and so I went out and worked on uh, several farms. I, I was actually working with dairy farms in Minnesota at the time, and uh, one of my mentors, uh, Nolan Lenzen, is a seasonal grass-based dairy. And so I figured that that would really, you know, stretch the limits of grazing. You know, you need the highest productivity grass, the highest nutritional demand from the cow. So I want to learn from him, see how he does it. So we worked together for uh, over a year. He'd have me out usually on weekends or evenings. I'd help him milk. Um, actually kind of similar, it sounds like, to what Jacob is doing. Um, and at the time, I didn't have my own farm. So, you know, from my perspective, what I needed at that time was experience. You know, now I'm at the point I have this job as a grazing broker. You know, I, I've gone through graduate school and studied uh, grazing methods. You know, so I've done a lot of this research, done, managed some herds myself now. And um, so now I'm at this level where I'm starting my farm. So, you know, this is an issue that's really important to me. So I'm just, I'm part of this community. We're all doing this together, uh, trying to connect with each other and, and find the resources of how to graze better. So you're kind of inventing this system that you needed to see in the world because it didn't exist. Yeah, but I'm also really drawing on some other resources that are out there. I think it just so happens there's kind of a gap in this part of the, of the country. You know, we're not in Minnesota, so we don't have the Land Stewardship Project. We're not in Illinois, where they have their uh, state line farm beginnings, and they have uh, the Land Connection, they have other organizations. Um, but here we're in the middle, and we have, uh, I guess we have Grassworks, which is our statewide uh, grazing networks. Um, you know, we have the Wisconsin School for Beginning Dairy and Livestock Farmers. But, um, you know, this is sort of a novel idea of, of uh, matchmaking, just facilitating the process, making it easier uh, for people to find uh, an experienced farmer to coach them one-on-one. -on -one. So I guess the question would be, and this might be something that, Jacob, you can reflect on, too, if you're somebody who's wanting to start a, an operation, um, how, how should you be selling yourself? What do the landowners want to hear? What are, the, what are the red flags for them? What are they looking for in a tenant? And, um, and how do you coach those beginners in approaching uh, it sounds like these a lot of the people who are owning the lands that you're brokering are not are not themselves farmers or didn't have a farm background necessarily, or is that not the case? Oh, that's definitely the case. A, a lot of these are non-farming landowners. They may be renting their land for crops or renting it for permanent pasture at sort of the county average rate, um, but... The, the clients that I have success with are folks who the light bulb went on for them about managed grazing, and they came into the uh, USDA service center, uh, talked to a conservationist. They got a grazing plan. Uh, they got some money from EQIP, which is the 
the Environmental Quality Incentives Program. I think Jacob mentioned that. Uh, that'll pay for a grazing system, you know, which will put up the fence, the, the livestock water, um, you know, kind of actually create the plan of how to move them around the pastures. Um, there's, I mean, it's a, a fabulous resource there. So those folks come in, they're beginners. They may not even have um, really a fairly large herd, you know, because they don't have the money. So it's like, well, how do you get started at that point? Well, graze somebody else's cows. There, that saves you thousands of dollars because then you're being paid to graze them, you know, for your labor. Um, you know, you could even start on rented land um, if that was a barrier. So then at that point, you're basically, um, you know, you get a lot of this cost shared from, from the USDA for your grazing equipment. At that point, it's just your skills. So then we're also giving them support from workshops of seeing on-farm how people are successfully uh, grazing. Uh, I think Jacob's doing some of that himself. He's really taken the lead um, to, to show off what he's learned about grazing. Yeah, and you, you So, you Jacob, what recommendations would you make based on the place that you're at in this system for those who are interfacing with or interacting with non-farming landowners in this context, like, what do you think that they're worried about or what are they looking to see? Um, I, want, I would presume that they're interested in the ecological benefits of, a, of something other than corn and soybeans or the benefits of not just taking hay off their land. Um, how would you go about kind of convincing slash explaining slash negotiating with um, those kinds of parties? Yeah, um, I've actually brainstormed kind of our neighboring land if I would be interested in eventually, you know, whatever it's five or ten years down the line, renting land. And it's kind of a similar um, exer mine exercise as what um, a beginning farmer that was looking to approach someone in the this, like brokership program. Um, and so what I would do to suggest to them or start dialogue about why they should open up their land to a beginning farmer to help graze is that it does prevent or it does um, emphasize ecological health. Um, so there's a lot of in our area in Wisconsin, especially there's concerns about the water quality, um, soil erosion, um, and then just also natural pollinator habitats and how those can also be built up and um, a part of the program. But you can also have extremely um, efficient and economical models when you're producing grass-fed beef and if you're interested in direct marketing, realizing a higher premium for the, the product that you're raising. Um, and also, if you do go the route of having an incentive program, there's a timeline that is tied to that um, contract. So in a way, if you're talking to a landowner and you're saying, I'm going to put in this type of system, it's going to be a 10- or 20-year system that you have, um, it's stable, and you're kind of locked down. And a lot of times right now with, like, annual crop growers, it's kind of on a, a one- to three-year or even every year a handshake type of uh, agreement to lease out land. So you can approach them about having long-term stability and also helping out the next generation of farmers. Um, and we, we know that land access is a, a bubble that is growing as, as the years go by and the decades go by, um, if you can really touch on that, um, I think they can they can see the importance of putting new farmers on the land. 
And I know that you're starting to go in the direction of silver pasture and more perennial crops. Obviously, that gets the that makes the negotiation a little bit harder. Um, but do you want to make an ecological argument of why you, on your own family land, are going into silver pasture um, and perennial crops? Because I think, frankly, that this is exactly the kind of place where we need to have longer-term leases become standard uh, in this country because in order for growers and, and orchardists and land stewards to be able to see return on investment for these more perennial, slower-growing crops. But do you want to make the, the farm and, and, and um, business case for them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it goes into, you could tie it into something that they're readily uh, or dealing with on a day-to-day basis or every year they're thinking about, like, more or so their retirement and um, their, their investments and those type of things and how diversification is so pushed in those fields, but yet in the actual fields, when it comes to agriculture, we don't really push diversity and how that those can... Um, if you have diversity on your farm, whether it's different products that you're producing, um, and not necessarily just like having beef and poultry or beef and pork, but having different realms, so not necessarily just a meat product, but also having an annual production or a fruit production that you can diversify. And there's going to be some disadvantages of that because you can't specialize, but it also gives you, um, while it might lower your ceiling, it increases the floor and raises that up. Um, So touching on that and how if you really create a system that mimics an ecosystem and how nature has been set up in your your area historically and how it functions, that your land will be more resilient and eventually the idea is that it would create more abundance, um, which we can translate into profitability. Robert, you want to reflect on um, on how those longer-term infrastructure and diversification arguments might play out? And this doesn't have to be right now or, you know, committing to, to pressuring your landowners, but it does feel like these are the kinds of conversations when we're talking about regenerative agriculture and, you know, basin-scale, you know, efforts um, to infiltrate water, and especially in drier regions than yours. You know, the, the the repair of the commons, as it were, is work that takes place over lifetimes, um, not handshake deals. Do you have any kind of thoughts or theories that might inform how that evolves moving forward? Yeah, amen to Jacob. Uh, I guess two, two angles on this. You know, uh, Jacob put me in touch with one of his friends who's a, a Ph.D. student at uh, University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. And he's working on some uh, lease templates, actually, that will support sort of leasing land for uh, agroforestry, uh, perennial and annual cropping systems. That's, that's really neat stuff. I think we, just, we need more tools to do that. And then um, the second thing is really in the work that I do with soil health, which is, this is sort of this catchphrase now, um, you know, I think we've lost a lot of the diversity in our cropping systems, not just our grazing systems, but, um, you know, a lot of these farmers have dropped their wheat rotation, for example. You know, it's corn on corn or soy and corn. 
when you drop the wheat rotation, then you lose the possibility of adding in a cover crop after the wheat. You know, and that could be um, some that could be I don't know pollinator value, for example. You know, you could put some red clover into that wheat, and that's just like pretty simple. But the fact that we've lost you know that element of diversity in in the crop rotation, um, you know, has sort of enormous impacts on potential for reintegrating any additional um, you know benefits to pollinators to the ecosystem. Um, so I think if we, yeah, we, we need to kind of start, from my perspective, I need to start there. It's like convincing people to, I don't know, some, somehow integrate those, those rotations back in there. Um, and I think we really see the benefits um, economically, in, as like Jacob says, the stability, um, the, the sort of benefits of the rotation effect, you know, it's just sort of hard to explain, but we can really quantify that when we, when we add in a diverse crop, you know, we, we manage pests better, the soil is healthier, um, has more organic matter. Um, and so, you know, it's pretty, we already pretty much know what the benefits are. And, you know, at this point, it's just kind of selling people on it. Um, and I go back to what the USDA is doing. They have money to put in cover crops. You know, right now they're doing a big push on cover crops to sign up for that. Um, and the payments are pretty good. Um, and they're, the, really, the practices are pretty simple, um, but they have such enormous benefits for the soil and, and really for the environment. So it sounds like it's time to go into the cover crop seed business, if the USDA <laughs> yeah. is handing out checks. Um, it sounds like all for all stakeholders, it's really about getting into a learning journey and networking with all the various sources of information and figuring out who's who and what's what and and getting moving along the pathway towards a diverse farm that can support businesses and diversity and be economically viable, and that, that is going to just take more hands on the land and more engagement um, by all parties. I wanted to open up the, the last couple minutes for throwing out some of the resources, organizations, books, workshops, conferences, um, you know, philosophers that you guys are looking to in your own learning journeys and where you'd recommend other upper Midwest grazers have a look. I know that there's a workshop coming up, so maybe you want to start there and then just kind of popcorn freestyle your faves. Well, Jacob, down in your area, you have a really uh, neat group of, um, I guess it's called, what is it called, the Green County Women in Agriculture group, right, Jacob? Yeah, and like the Soil Sisters kind of. Yeah, and Soil Sisters, which is, uh, I think, kind of an offshoot of the Midwest Organic Research and Education Service, MOSES, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, so I ended up uh, kind of connecting with that group of, of uh, farmers, and we put together a workshop June 3rd. Uh, we're we're going to feature, you know, beginning uh, livestock and grazers who happen to be women. Uh, and I think that's, I mean, there's an increasing trend towards, you know, women who are sole proprietors of their farms. Uh, and we have some great examples. In fact, my predecessor in this grazing broker position, Laura Payne, uh, is a grass-fed beef producer um, in Wisconsin. And um, she is now the program director for the Dairy Grazing Apprenticeship Program. 
And they have some good examples, too, of uh, women who are uh, going through this dairy grazing apprenticeship program to um, get started with their own dairies. Um, we're going to have uh, someone from Pecatonica, Illinois, Greta Winkelbauer. Uh, she got a grant recently to have a mobile milking parlor for her goats. Um, they're doing all kinds of innovative things, uh, this, this group of speakers that, that uh, we got together. So um, I think, yeah, the, the people who are doing these things are the good resource. Um, and so I'm just trying to draw on the energy and, and, and go with the flow um, to get some of these workshops together. So um, I hope you can make it, Jacob, too. Yeah, I, w I would agree. Well, one thing I can say from my, from my end is it's really cheap to make a recording with a smartphone and slap a podcast up on a word down on a listserv and have people get be able to have access to those kinds of workshops. And I know from just the success of Greenhorns Radio that there's a lot of listeners, people who are, you know, in the greenhouse this time of year um, and have their little earbuds in and are, even if they can't drive 600 miles because it's outside of their region, um, will be very happy recipients of that energy you put into organizing those presentations. That's great to know. Jacob, you want to have one last word in on um, recommendations for, for grazers? Yeah, um, for resources, uh, where to look, the Internet is just abound with so much information, and you have to be able to decipher what is um, what is actually pertinent or it has backing to it and makes sense and what doesn't, but there's just so much of a wealth of knowledge. I found that um, I'm going to be a true 24-year-old here and talk about Facebook, but there's so many very intelligent I don't hear people. anything, so I'm going to just say that I'm very thankful for both of you being on, and I hope it's not a bug that made it so I couldn't hear you, but uh, it feels like Upper Midwest has got a good scene going, and especially since you have all the water that maybe some people from other regions who've been farming in the drought for long enough that the dust is getting them down will start considering relocating themselves and their energy and entrepreneurial spirit into your regions and um, hopefully create some good cross-pollination. And uh, uh, long may we prosper. Thank you so much for being on the radio. Wonderful. Thank you for having us. All the best. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.